So, welcome to Zion. It's great to have you with us. It's great to have you amongst us. It's great to have you uh, with us as family. And I do pray that uh, while you're here, if there's anything that my team can do to help you, to support you, to walk with you, uh, that you would help, uh, you'd come and ask for that help. You know, we do believe, uh, as Zion people, we believe that everyone needs a spiritual home. And uh, where you find that spiritual home uh, is really part of your journey as you walk with the Lord. Uh, and I'm really, really proud to say that there are many good Christian churches in Te Aumudu. Uh, the ministers uh, have an association, a fraternity. We're gathering together this Tuesday morning at the AOG for their world-famous porridge, uh, which I'm looking forward to. And uh, we do, we just spend time together, praying and uh, really uh, working together. So wherever your home is, may you be blessed. If this is your home, uh, please feel free to make Zion your home. You may have noticed uh, that Kathy's not sitting with me in the front row this morning. Uh, she is absent. Uh, she sends you her love, but she's away following my example and taking time out to, to, to spend time with God. It's a really great discipline uh, to do as a leader. And you would think, as a married couple, we would do that together. Well, we just couldn't make our schedules work this month. And uh, so that's just one of the things it is. But she's off uh, having some time and some space with God. And I probably would get some agreement from some of you that it might be easier for her to hear God without me always yapping in her ear. So um, uh, she'll be back next week. She's, uh, I spent Friday with her, and she's having a great time with God. Taking time out is really, really important as part of every single one of our journey. Taking time out as part of your preparation for what God's doing is also vital. You think in the Bible, Abraham. Abraham took time out. God called him up Mount Moriah. It wasn't such a comfortable journey for his son Isaac, but it was about setting himself outside of the community in time where he could see God as, in that case, Jehovah Jireh. Moses climbed the mountain many times to have time with God, away from the people in order that he could connect and hear and receive what God had for him. And uh, Moses fasted 40 days up that mountain. That's commitment. But, you know, he received, and what we, what we now have is the revelation of Moses is something that we receive because of his sacrifice. Jesus also, you read the scriptures, you read the gospels, Jesus took time out. He would say early in the morning, Jesus went away by himself to pray and spend time with his father. Taking time out is really important. But what's most important is the preparation. Because you can go away for a week and watch Netflix and not be prepared for your journey. You can go away and spend time doing hobbies, and that's not preparation for the journey. But this key statement I want to start with this morning is this. Our commitment to our preparation is critical for how well we will travel our journey. Our commitment to our preparation is critical for how well we will travel our journey. I'm going to speak about that on a spiritual context today, but before I do that, perhaps a couple of practical examples. Jeff likes to take his race car out, and uh, Jeff, I bet you don't do that without preparation. What's the most important thing that you prepare before you take your car to a track? <laughs> that you've got brakes. So safety, you could say. Yeah, and mechanical, mechanical reliability. That's exactly right. But the point is, the preparation and the quality of the preparation, it's, it's basically determining how well his journey goes on that day. 
Richard, a few years ago, you did a, an Ironman. God bless you for your craziness. But I bet you didn't do that without preparation. How many hours did you spend on the road? Bronnie says too many. But there was, what, so cycling, running, swimming. 25 hours a week in his preparation at the peak before he completes that Ironman. See, the amount of preparation you're doing determines how well you do the journey. A personal story, a funny one, I can say this because Phil's not here, but uh, we were out on the boat recently, and uh, I was there to help make sure it was safe. And we wanted to lose any of the children in the process of having fun on the lake. And as we're preparing to launch off from the edge of the lake, we notice that there's a large amount of water in the back of the boat, which is not good before you start. And so one of the things that, uh, and I take full responsibility for this, one of the things that we just locked in as a crucial preparation part is putting the bungs in the back to stop the water coming in. So that day Phil learnt two lessons. One, where the bungs are kept, and two, where the bilge pump switch is so we can pump the water back out of the boat. What's the point? The point is our commitment to our preparation is critical for how well we travel our journey. Today I want to I point you to, in the book of Psalms, the Psalms of Ascent. They're called the Psalms of Ascent. And if you're writing notes, you're taking notes, this is the title of today's message, The Stairs of Ascent. And I'm going I'm to help you to understand in Scripture what that actually means. What does it mean for you? How does it apply to you? And what can you take away from this message? But the question you will want to be asking yourself is, what do these stairs mean for me? Come on, let's, let's do that, eh? Because we like to get you engaged in the, in the message. So you can say, self, what do these stairs mean for me? Come on. Self, what do these stairs mean for me? See, I want you to take something away from this. My aim is to lead you in a way where you understand that the preparation you go on is critical to the journey that you go on. In sports training, we used to have a saying. We used to say, proper preparation and practice prevents poor performance. I won't get you to say that. Proper preparation and practice prevents poor performance. The whole point being the hard work done off the field or off the playing pitch was going to determine what happened on the playing pitch. So it's how you prepare that's really important. That's what I want to take you on a journey today. And the truth is, you can't fob this one off. You can't defer that to someone else. You can't say, oh, well, my spouse is the spiritual one in the family. You don't get to say that. Oh, no, no, I'm just going to, the pastor's leading us. He can do it. Or my, 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 my connect group leaders, you know, they're the ones that are going to lead us. No, 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 you can't fob this off because you're on our journey. So your preparation on your journey is how well your journey is going to go. So this week at the prayer meeting, which we had on Wednesday night, we landed on this scripture. And I want to start with the scripture because it builds a foundation for where we're going today and what I'm, what I'm trying to say. So let's look at the scripture, 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14 and 15, line by line. The Lord says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, if they seek my face, if they turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, says the Lord. I will forgive their sins, says the Lord. And I will heal their land, restore their land. The Lord then says in verse 15, my eyes will be open and my ears will be attentive. This is God's promise to every prayer made in this place. The Lord says, my people who are called by my name. But there's, a, there's a condition in here. 
And I, and, and I want you to see it because the Lord is great to give us promises, and His promises are rich and varied and many all through Scripture. Each week we try and pull a few of them out to, to point you to. But I want you to see this. I'm going to highlight on the screen. There's a part for you to play. Because the Lord says that my people who, who are called by my name, He's talking about us, those who have responded to His invitation of love, but He says, here's what my people need to do. If they'll humble themselves and pray. If they'll turn and seek my face to, to, to come before me in a personal relationship. The Hebrews knew this face-to-face -face was about the presence of God, about a, a personal relationship with Him as, as the Almighty God. And also, if my people would turn away from doing those things that do not please me. What a power-packed promise, but it is with our participation included. So let's be, let's be clear that there's a responsibility for us in this. Every single one of us, this is what we must do. And this is what today's message is all about. How do you fulfill that part so that the blessings of God with the forgiveness of sins and the restoration and healing of your circumstances are yours from Him? So what I want to do is I want to point you to the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent, as they're called or referred to by those that translate, scribe, and teach the Bible, are Psalms 120 to 134. So if you look in your Bible, if I look in my Bible, then I see that there's a little heading that says a song of ascent or a psalm of ascent, depending on which Bible you're using. Psalm 120 is a heading, a song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. So these were 15 songs that the people of God memorized and they sang them together as they marched back to Jerusalem for a time of worship. These are songs that they sang when they returned from exile in Babylon. When they came back, you know, in the, in the, in the times of Nehemiah and Ezra. These are songs that they sang as they traveled from their town back into Jerusalem as the place God had designated as his place of worship. They sang these songs at their church conference, I bet you. They also, I guarantee you, every good Jewish housewife had these 15 songs on her playlist that her kids would hear them and learn them as they grew up while she was playing them in the house. Well, they didn't have Spotify, but I'm sure they would have had them on a playlist. But in those days, everything was done by memory. So these were songs that they learned. And, and, and if you spend time reading them, as I have done the last few weeks, as the Lord pointed me to them, Psalms 120 to 134, these 15 psalms, short psalms. But you can see on the screen there, they praise the Lord, they exalt His name, and they elevate Him, they lift Him up, they declare Him to be the Lord God Almighty. And there's a key point here. These people were preparing themselves for worshiping the Lord. These psalms helped them to prepare themselves, to build themselves ready in readiness to worship the Lord. So you can see here they're preparing themselves to come before the Lord Almighty. So that was their practice, that was their tradition, it was their discipline that the Lord had commanded them into. And, and why would we think we're any different? We too must prepare ourselves to come before the Lord. We must prepare ourselves to be ready to worship Him. You don't sound convinced. Just Okay, I'm going to convince you. I've got three points for you today. The first one is this. We're going to talk about how do you prepare yourself for worship. We're going to see this in the Scripture. The second point is how do you purify yourself for worship? 
Because you better make sure you come before the Lord clean. And thirdly and finally, how do you ascend in worship? How do you rise up? See, these are called the Psalms of Ascent, linked to the stairs of ascent. So there's a principle that I sort of see in Scripture here that we can make a conclusion, we can ascend higher in worship, and that's really my goal for you today. My goal is that, that we would understand that the humility that's required of us before the Lord is what allows Him to lift us up. So we're not saved by our works. We're certainly not um, entering into His presence by, by our effort. What we're doing is we're humbling ourselves before the Lord. It's what I want you to see today. We're humbling ourselves before the Lord that He would elevate us into His glory. So let's look at the first point. Before I do... Uh, so we're going to start with prepare yourself for worship. I want to just read a couple of these psalms. So let's start with Psalm 122. A psalm of David. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. And now here we are standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, a well-built city, its seamless walls cannot be breached. All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage here. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord. This is the opening of that psalm, and it's positioning us as we think about it. It's a joy to come together into the house of God to worship the God whom we adore. We see in this, in the Scriptures, that people were instructed to follow this discipline, that the Lord set out patterns for them to live by in order that they would know how to worship Him. And if we have a look on the screen, we can see in Deuteronomy 16, there are three festivals referred to. And you can read the whole chapter. But in Deuteronomy 16, verse 16, each time, each year, every man in Israel must celebrate these three festivals, the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of harvest, and the festival of shelters. On each of these occasions, all men must appear before the Lord at the place he chooses, but they must not appear before the Lord without a gift for him. So they were commanded to come from wherever they were living. Whatever their, their, their daily job was or their business or their family activity, they were commanded to come before the Lord three times for these festivals. And as they came, they would sing these psalms of ascent, these songs, and they were building themselves up and preparing themselves to celebrate God with their family in Jerusalem. So we read in Deuteronomy, the Lord gives specific instructions. You can also read these in Leviticus if you're really looking for some extra uh, edifying scriptures to look for. Read the book of Leviticus, but the Lord's very clear what these festivals are about and what we're doing when we, when we celebrate them. So the first festival is, is sometimes referred to as the, the festival of the Passover, and the Lord says, do this and remember that day that I, the Lord, came and protected you and released you from the bondage of your slavery in Egypt. The first Passover was the Passover where they put the blood on the lintel of the door when they were slaves in Egypt and the spirit of death came through Egypt and killed all the firstborn sons except for the house that had blood on the door. And that was the moment where the bondage broke with the blood of a lamb. And the people were released. And God says, remember this, remember this. The festival of the harvest is about remembering your first harvest as a farmer or as a family that you're feeding. And remember that it's the Lord your God that provides your abundant harvest. 
And in the book of Leviticus, there's much more detail around feeding the poor from your abundance and being generous towards others, not just hoarding it for yourselves. This festival, they'd come together and celebrate that. And finally, the festival of shelters was all about remembering that time where they traveled for 40 years through the desert, through the wilderness with God, and they lived in tents, not a fixed home, a tent that they could put up and put down and and move and carry off. And in this particular festival, they would all live in a tent in their backyard to remind themselves of the time when God called them to live in the wilderness. Each one of these festivals lasted eight days. Start on the first day, there would be seven days of festival and, and, the, and the celebration, then on the eighth day to close that off. And they would sing and they would worship God. There would be eight days of music and singing and food and celebration. Man, why don't we do that? That's a good idea. Well, we are going to do that. If I could get my usher team to host, uh, hand out some cards of... Um, Ashley's prepared some cards for each of you to go home, take home and put on your fridge because in two weeks' time, we'll be celebrating Easter together. Easter is one of the, the big markers on the modern Christian calendar. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to start on Thursday night because if you read the story of Jesus and his um, sacrifice on the cross, which we remember on Easter Friday, The night before, the night that he was betrayed, he sat with his friends and shared a meal. And it was the Passover meal that they were sharing together. So what we're going to do as family is we're going to come together and we're going to have some meat, some flatbreads and some salads as a family to remember, to pause at the beginning of Easter as Jesus did. But I do need you to RSVP for that because I need to know how many we're catering for. We're catering for all of you. All you've got to do is put your reply in and let us know you're coming. And there's instructions there to do that. We've also got a gathering on Easter Friday morning at 9.30. There's a a musical media demonstration of the cross called The Power of the Cross. And I'm going to speak about that more next week. And of course, we have Sunday. I'm going to refer to John chapter 12 later in my message, but in John chapter 12, we we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem because he knows that as a Jewish man, he's required to present himself at the temple for the feast of Passover. And he comes into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And this this is a fantastic story we read where they're waving palm branches and they're declaring glory to the King of David, the Son of David, who is our Well, they didn't say it's not recorded, but they knew that he was the one, the promised one that God had been promising them for hundreds of years. And they sang and they they lay down their cloaks and they he marched in on the on the on the back of a donkey, a young donkey, as was prophesied. You know, we call that Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. So I want you to remember that when you think about what I'm sharing today and how you're gonna prepare yourself for coming to worship Jesus next Sunday. So we have the Psalms of Ascent, but we can see there's a key here. The key at the beginning is there was a genuine focus on God. Coming to celebrate, coming together as family, coming to Jerusalem or coming to church is not about you. It's about Him. We've got to prepare our hearts in order to present ourselves before Him. And that requires being prepared. So I've got some statements or some comments here, and uh, I hope they provoke you. 
The first thought is in your preparation, you should come to worship God, not to be entertained. People traveled to Jerusalem long, long way because they knew that God was worthy of their worship, that he was the God, the great I am, the, the God who called them as his special people. Did you know God calls you his special people? You're adopted into that family. Paul teaches us in scriptures that by faith in Jesus Christ, we're adopted in to this family of God, and God says we're his special people. But too often, a modern worship environment is about comfort. It's about preference. It's about volume. It's about how we feel and whether we're going to participate. That's not what I read in Scripture. What I read in Scripture is people hungry to come before God because He is Almighty God. The second thought here is we should come prepared to receive and to respond. This is not just a one-way thing. We've kind of ruined it a bit in the Western world where you sit there for 40 minutes and I talk at you. That's not really helpful. But the point is we should come expectant to receive. We should come almost with a trepidation about what God wants. I remember when I was a new Christian, I'd go to church and I was nervous every week because I didn't have a clue what God was going to do because he was dealing with some junk, man. And I was learning how to worship him, and I was learning how to respond to his word. And, and the pastor we had in Wellington, he was prophetic, so every now and then he'd call me out. And I'm like, oh, awkward. But why aren't we like that every week? Why don't we come with fear and trembling, wondering what God is going to do? Hoping that he'll move and call us out. Exodus 19, the Lord summons the people to come before him. And it says the people came before the mountain of the Lord with fear and trembling, a reverent fear, a holy awe, a wondering what God would do. And I pray that we would be a people that come before him with holy fear and trembling at the thought that God himself would move in fire and power and the mountains would shake. I hope I'm not the only one that thinks that. The third thought here is that we come to be the church, not just see the church. You see, you can't just come expecting me to do it all for you. You've got to bring your faith with you. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 26 in the Amplified Bible says this. Paul says, well, what's the right course, believers? When you meet together, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, which is a disclosure of special knowledge, a tongue or an interpretation. Let everything be constructive and edifying and done for the good of all the church. It's not just a one-man pony show. It's about each one of us bringing our gift and being a contribution. Church is far better when you turn up in spirit, not just in body. Church is edifying for all of us when you're worshiping like your life depends on it, when you're amening the preacher, when you're agreeing with the testimony, when you're shaking hands in, in holy fellowship or greeting each other with a kiss of fellowship, however you choose to do it. Don't come to see the church, come to be the church. We together add to that, each one of us with our gifts and our talents. We are called, not just me, we are called to make the church strong, to make the bride beautiful for Jesus, for that's what he's coming back for. 
You okay? Point number one, we've got to prepare ourselves for worship. Point number two, we've got to purify ourselves for worship. So Psalm 130, I'll just read this one. Again, I wanted to just point to some of these psalms of ascent as I meander through today. Psalm 130, oh, from the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord, pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, O Lord, who could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. Just the first half of that psalm. Coming before the Lord, knowing we're not worthy of anything except by what he's done and what he declares, and what he's ordained for us. The Lord is very, very clear in his instructions in Deuteronomy and Leviticus particularly, that the people would come before him purified. In Exodus 19, he specifically says to Moses, tell the people to consecrate themselves for three days. Abstain from intimacy and come before me clean, consecrated, and ready for me to receive them. To be purified, we also need to make a sacrifice. These people, they came to Jerusalem. If we look in, if you're taking notes, Leviticus 23, verses 37, for those of you taking notes. Leviticus 23, 23, verse 37. These are the Lord's appointed festivals. Celebrate them each year as official days for holy assembly by presenting special gifts to the Lord. Burnt offerings, grain offerings, sacrifices and liquid offerings, each on its proper day. These festivals must be observed in addition to regular Sabbath. And the offerings are in addition to your personal gifts. The offerings you give to fulfill your vows and the voluntary offerings you present to the Lord. Don't come to the Lord empty-handed. Bring Him a gift. That's why I wanted um, Isaac today to share a testimony about regular giving. It's a discipline that every single one of us as a believer should have. If you haven't been on that journey, then the Lord will take you on that journey. Because I can teach it to you from the Scriptures. I can impart something to you from my grace. But you've got to get that revelation for yourself. And I pray that you do. Don't come empty-handed. We believe in regular giving. We believe in special offerings around missions and capital projects and vision. Don't come to the Lord empty-handed. Part of our purification is understanding that we, we bring an offering, but we also come clean. There's a Jewish process with a ritual cleansing, a mikvot, it's a bath, and they would bathe themselves to come purified before the Lord. We don't get the bath out on Sundays. It's going to, okay, we're not going to. But we've got to think about how do we bring our hearts before the Lord? How do we come through the doors? Praise God. Because of Jesus Christ, we don't have to wash in a bath to be clean because Jesus comes to clean our hearts for us when we allow him to. We come before the Lord righteous. The key point in this slide here is the genuine repentance and baptism into Jesus Christ. We've got to understand that when we walk in here, or when we walk into our home, when we walk into our job, when we walk into our school, we are genuinely putting our faith in Jesus Christ and the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that he died once for all our sins. When we declare and confess publicly that Jesus is our Lord, he's our Savior, we come into this place of salvation, and salvation in Jesus and Jesus alone. 
Again, for those of you writing notes, Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says this, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at the right time and died for us as sinners. You can extend that to verse 11. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 11. We've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, and He will certainly save us from condemnation. We must remember that we are loved by God. Key point here. We've got to remember that, that even though we were sinners, God loved us, and He made a way for us to come back into relationship with Him. It's only through Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. If you're also writing notes, take down 2 Corinthians chapter 5 from verse 14. Either way, Paul's debating you know, what's going on. Uh, he says, either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we've all died to our old life. You don't have to say anymore, oh, well, that's just the way I am. Oh, that's just my weakness. You know, I'm a bit obsessive. Oh, that's my way. Oh, that's my weakness. I just get a bit angry when things don't go my way. No, we're a new creation in Christ, it goes on to say. The old is gone, the new has come, and we're fully redeemed by faith in Jesus Christ. Hope some of you can say amen to that. Amen, of course. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5. 14 and 15, but you just read right through to the end of that chapter. Finally, Romans chapter 6, Paul says we are no longer slaves to sin. Romans 6 verses 3 to 8, that we are no longer slaves to the sin that once tangled us. Romans 6 verses 3 says, Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Jesus Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. This is why baptism is so important for every single believer. That you would say publicly before your friends that you go into the water as Jesus went into the grave. That your old self is crucified in the grave with Jesus. And as we lift you up, because we will lift you up out of the water, as we lift you up out of the water, you're rising out of the grave as Jesus did, victorious over sin and death, obtaining for yourself the same inheritance that God has stored for each one of us in heaven. Come on, we've got to be a bit excited about that. I mean, you look like you're going to hell rather than to heaven. You should tell your face that you're saved for eternity, because I'm not convinced. Are you agreeing with the Scriptures and the salvation of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to say, this is my truth, this is my promise, this is my journey? Because if you're not willing to confess it, Jesus is not going to acknowledge you. That's the harsh truth. The Jews came to Jerusalem exuberant, full of joy. They danced for eight days because they knew they were called out as God's special people. We've got to worship Him like that. But to come before and know that He's purified us for a purpose. And that purpose is to ascend into worship. To come into a higher place of worship. Psalm 134. I promise you I'll just read a few of them. Psalm 134 is the final psalm of ascent. Like I said, there's 15 of them. Psalm 134. Oh, praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who serve at night in the house of God. Lift up holy hands in prayer and praise the Lord. May the Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Jerusalem. 
That's a great psalm. It's an old hymn, that's right. It's an old hymn. So that we can see there on the screen, if I point you back to the reason I wanted to talk about the Psalms of Ascent and the Stairs of Ascent, there were 15 psalms written for the people to sing as they came to worship. When they constructed the temple, there were 15 steps at the south wall of the temple. And these steps, they were curved and beautiful, and they went from the lower level, which was referred to as the court of women, which meant the general population of Israel could meet inside the temple in the court of women. And then the Levitical priests would stand on a step, the first step, and sing the first psalm. And then they would stand on the second step and sing the second psalm of ascent. And as they did that, the people were cheering and they're yelling and they're singing and they're worshiping God. And then they go through the, there's a name for the gate, the Nicanor gate that goes into where the altar was. And there's all sorts of rooms and that's where they, the, the priest was doing the sacrifice on the brazen altar. And that was called the court of men. So women weren't allowed up there because in those days, the Jews were very much about segregation. Um, but this is the point is that they went higher up into a place of worship. As I've read about the Psalms of Ascent and the Stairs of Ascent the past few weeks, and as I've read and researched and thought and prayed, I've, I've come to the conclusion that each one of us can go higher in our praise. Each one of us are called into a higher place of worship. Each one of us can come higher in our way that we magnify God through our life. It's not complicated. But I believe that we can lift ourselves into a higher level of worship. I, I think it's really difficult for us as Westerners to even comprehend their culture, to comprehend the joy that they had as people. I mean, you're all looking like you just had sour toast. But they would come into, I mean, I'm not trying to be critical, but, but clearly there's a message. But, um, but the point is they would come in with joy. They would be jumping up and down. The, the Levitical priests would be singing and dancing, and they did it for eight days. If we sing a song too many times, you guys complain. Eight days of worship. Eight days of joy before God. This is the people of God because they knew they were called apart. You have the same promise. The Bible says you're the special possession of God and you've got to come before Him and ascend and worship before Him. God called you out of a bondage of slavery just like He did the Israelites. God set you free from the pain and suffering that you caused for yourself like He did for the Israelites. God led you maybe through the wilderness, but He provided for you every moment of every day just like He did the Israelites. God is going to lead you into your promised land just like He did for the Israelites. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land full of promise. It's a land where His glory is manifest. That's your promise. That's why you worship Him because He deserves it. His life, his, his life that He gives us is just more than enough that I would spend every day worshiping Him. Bow low before Him with my face on the ground because He is so high and I am so low. That's the God we worship. Hank and I, last couple of weeks, have just read out of Hebrews 12. It's a key scripture for us in this stage of our journey. And I just want to point to it again. Hebrews 12 verse 22 You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to the mountain of the living God, to the countless thousands of angels in joyful gathering. You've come to the assembly of God's firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. This is your inheritance. 
You've come to Jesus, the one who mediates a new covenant between God and you, between God and his people, to the blood which speaks of forgiveness. 28, we're receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. This is our promise. You know, when we get to heaven, we're not just going to sit around with our arms folded. You read, read the book of Revelation. We'll be bowing in worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Why? Because he is. And when you get there, you'll get the revelation. If you don't have it before then. The question is, are you ready to climb the mountain? This is our phrase this year, and it's a figurative speech. It's a figure of speech. It's a, it's a metaphor for ascending in our connection with God, ascending into higher levels of worship to come up the mountain like Moses did as a metaphor, but to get a revelation like Moses did. That we're receiving an unshakable kingdom, every single one of us. Why? Because God loves you. God redeemed you by Jesus Christ, and God calls you into a promise. Christianity, as I keep saying, is not a bus ticket to heaven. It's permission to worship him because of God, the great I am. Surely that revelation demands his worship. So I'm going to land this in a minute, a couple of minutes. But here's some challenges for you. Oh, where am I going? I didn't give you my slides. Here we go. You can have the slides. Here's a question for you. Do you come on time and ready to worship? I remember going to church with my dad, my mum as a young boy. I don't remember the age, but I have a vivid memory. Going into uh, the Presbyterian Church on High Street in Lower Hutt with my parents. They were always at least 10 minutes early. I think my dad was raised that way because he was in the choir, so he was there a lot earlier. But we, if he wasn't on the choir, we would go early, 10 minutes early, we would sit in a pew. And I've got a vivid memory one day of sitting there and watching my dad. And he closed his eyes. And clearly he was praying. Not out loud. And I don't know how old I was, maybe five, maybe seven, but it seemed like an eternity. It's probably like three minutes. Now I know what he was doing. He's focusing himself on why he came to church. I wonder how you arrived to church. You come at 10.15? Plenty of people do. Do you rush in hoping to catch up with four or five people before the music gets too loud? Grab your seat after the person starts reading the scripture? Do you come in a fluster, struggling? Not focused on God, but focused on yourself? I mean, these are tough questions, but they're worth asking. Because I can promise you, I have to ask them every week of myself. I've got to look inside myself to make sure that when I come to church, I'm coming to worship him and not myself. Here's another question, if you're into it. Do you come with hearts that are pure? You know, Jesus is very clear when he teaches about forgiveness Paul also teaches the same thing, both of them, basically saying, if you've got something against someone or you know they have something against you, don't bring your offering. Don't come to worship. Go and resolve it. Come with a pure heart and don't come with unforgiveness. Don't come with bitterness. Don't come with issues. Don't come with struggles. Don't come with anger. 
Don't come with frustration. Don't come out of duty. What's your heart like? Do you check it on the way to church? How much attention do you pay to your heart before you come to church? I mean, obviously, I'm a minister, so I have to. Because if I don't, you're in trouble. And I can tell you, I come to church early on a Sunday, not to practice the singing and not to do chores, but to pray. I'm not coming early to finish my message and prepare and practice and hope I got the words right. I'm coming to get my face before him in submission and humility that he would turn up and move in this place, not me. I've got to bring my heart in the right place. But what about you? Do you depend on my prayers? Do you come hoping that I've got enough faith for you to get what you need? I've got the team here praying in the the pre-service prayer meeting, and I'm saying to them now, we've got to build faith in this environment for people to get affected when they come in. But I'd just rather you bring it with you. Because then we can pray for the town instead of you. I'm not telling you off. I'm inviting you to something that God's prepared for you. The Jews, the Israelites, they came before God to bring themselves. And finally, are you willing to be led into the inner court of higher praise? Do you wait for the band to warm up before you start? Or are you willing just to raise your arms and focus on Jesus? We we are so blessed with our musicians here. We truly are. But I tell you what, I have some pretty awesome praise parties in my truck with the radio up loud. I drive with my eyes open. You can be, it's okay, you don't have to worry. Why? Because I'm willing to be led in any situation into a higher court of praise. Any situation. Oh, look, I know these are tough questions, but I challenge you to check your heart. Because the Lord's calling us into a place of humility before Him. If I could get the band to come back, I've asked them to help us sing the roof off the building. But let's, let's look at Jesus. Before I close, just give me a couple minutes. I want you to look at Jesus. Because the King of glory comes in. This is his house. This is his family. The Spirit of Jesus is here. The King of glory comes in. In John chapter 12, we read, as I said before, about um, the, the, the journey Jesus made preparing himself for the Passover. But in fact, what we know is that he was going to be the Passover lamb, wasn't he? He was going to be the sacrifice. In John chapter 12, we read a very interesting introduction to that section. Six days before the Passover, he begins his journey. He would have been with his friends singing these hymns, these psalms. And it says he stopped along the way at his friend's house, the house of Lazarus. Does that name ring a bell to you? Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. And he supped with them. He had fellowship with them. And Mary, what did she do? She took a a vase of expensive perfume worth almost a year's wages. And she anointed Jesus with it. And the Gospel of Mark says she will be remembered forever for her sacrifice. What does this mean for our worship? Our praise must include a significant sacrifice. What is it that you're sacrificing? Is it your pride? Is it your comfort? 
Is it your tradition? Is it your expectations? Don't come before God empty-handed, but bring a significant, a significant sacrifice. We also read in Matthew 21 the same story about the Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. I said before that the people laid down palm branches. They put their cloaks for him to walk over. Why? Because they recognized him as a king. They bowed low prostate before him in in submission and humility. On Wednesday night at our prayer meeting, for the first five minutes, we prayed like the Jews do, nose to the floor. Why? Because the Jews know that our physical posture leads our spirit. And they feel there's no lower place they can go than with their forehead and their nose on the floor before God. It's not that comfortable. You've got to wear stretchy pants and a baggy shirt. It's not about comfort. It's about humility. Coming low before the Lord because as we come lower, He lifts us up. How do you worship? How do you surrender? How are you humble? And finally... We read in the next verse, in Matthew 21, verse 9, that they were shouting and yelling, Hosanna in glory to the Son of David, to the Son of God. They recognized him as God's Son and and worshipped him. They praised him loudly. I can assure you, the Jews never do anything quietly. And that's why I've asked the band to come. Lead us in one more song. Because I want us to make a sacrifice of praise. I want us to put aside everything and sing it like we believe it.